We interrupt this broadcast with some important news. Let's rewind and check out the biggest news stories from this week. It's time, it's time for Taiwan This Week. Good evening and welcome to this week's edition of Taiwan This Week with me, our host, Gavin Phipps. And I'm joined in the studio this evening by New Power Party member, Xiao Xinxiang. Hello, everyone. And on the telephone by Donovan Smith in Taichung. And good evening. Tonight we'll be discussing the DPP, the KMT, the NPP, two mayors and their plans to visit the United States, the state of renewables and, well... Esports, because we're all so e-sporty here. And we'll start this week's show with looking at the DPP, where party chairman Jorong Tai announced this week that the DPP will likely name its candidate for next year's presidential election in mid-April. Now, it remains unknown whether President Tsai Ing-wen will be seeking re-election, but reports are also claiming that former Premier William Lai, or even current Premier Su Jung Chung could also be selected to run in 2020. One person who won't be selected, though, is Legislative Speaker Su Jia Chun, who adamantly denied he had any plans to leave his current job when he was interviewed by the press this week. Now, when making the announcement, the DPP chairman said that the party leadership will do everything it can to remain in power, but it won't be cooperating with so-called white forces in the presidential election. And he went on to say that the party firmly supports nominating its own presidential and vice-presidential candidates. However, Jaw added that the DPP could still cooperate with independent or like-minded candidates in the legislature elections. Now, of course, the statement comes amid reports that the DPP could opt to nominate Taipei Mayor Kerwin Jur as its vice presidential candidate, that despite recent high-profile disputes between the DPP and Kerr. Now, the DPP chairman also said this week that the party may release a new party platform in September and that it will likely focus on cross-strait policies. So, Xiao, a lot to digest there. A party can- a presidential candidate by mid-April, which is earlier than the KMT, because, of course, the KMT have said they'll probably have theirs by June, and a new party platform focusing on cross-strait policies. So let's begin with, who do you think the candidate will be for next year? Yeah, um, in mid-April is not a really long time. So uh, so a party as large as DPP, um, if they are announcing that they have a candidate in mid-April, it seems like they are not expecting a lot of um, headwinds or chaos, so to speak. So I, I think to the takeaway from this is, I think ever since the President Tsai Ing-wen gave a forceful rebuttal to Xi Jinping's uh, speech addressed Taiwanese people, there's a, a visible uptick in her uh, popularity and support. So after the action, she has been seen as a, a coming alive, so to speak, as at least in her public persona. So I think she realized that... Um, before people see her as a weak president and, and Xi Jinping just gave her the uh, right opportunity to fix that. Hence, going into the 2020 election, I don't foresee real challenges to uh, President Tsai. And then maybe why um, why DPP chairman Zhou Rongtai was confident that they can come up with the nomination uh, in mid-April. Yeah, I, I, I'd agree with all that. I think uh, I think another possibility is they, they set the timeline short so there wouldn't be too many challenges uh, try, to try and head them off, uh, you know, giving and not giving people much time because obviously we've got the holiday coming up and then uh, <clears throat> so it doesn't give a lot of time for uh, people to try and drum up too much support. Now, if they they drawn the timeline too short, they would have been claimed of being dictatorial or undemocratic. Um, as far as who they'll, who they'll go with, I, yeah, I'd agree. I think right now. Now, Tai Tai is, is remains the front runner, um, but things are, are a little awkward right now. I mean, it, it, 
traditionally in, in Taiwan, candidates who've done at least moderately well tend to get uh, re-elected, as you saw here in Taichung and in Kaohsiung, well, not so much in Kaohsiung, but here in Taichung, uh, that that formula whereby people you know who do reasonably well, or at least okay, tend to get re-elected, uh, is that short-circuited here? Um, so it, it, normally you'd expect that Tsai would be reelected in spite of the fact that her her um you know, her her opinion polls ratings are pretty low but then again you could say the same thing of Mainjo at the same point in his presidency Chen Shui-bian at the same point in his presidency uh and both of them got reelected in spite of not being terribly popular uh during their first terms um so if things were normal, uh, I would just simply assume that, oh, the party will nominate Tsai Ing-wen and then they'll, you know, she'll be reelected. Uh, but it'll be a little bit tough. This time, who knows? Um, one thing I do think they would benefit from is a new vice presidential candidate. Um, I've noted this, you know, commented this on this uh, on Facebook several times. Um, and uh, is that I, for some reason, the current vice president, I cannot remember his name to save my life. Uh, I've I've literally gone out of my way to remember it. I I could recognize him in pictures. I know his background. I've his name isn't difficult to remember. I just remembered it now, but I couldn't a, a moment ago. Um, it, 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 the guy is so unmemorable. Um, they could really benefit from somebody who adds a little bit of pizzazz to the ticket. So Xiao, a new vice presidential candidate. Who do you think? Yeah, I'm. I'm not sure who it will be, but I'm pretty confident it's not going to be Coenjer, because the uh, the so-called uh, white green um, like union is. I don't think it's going to happen because um, from many disputes in the past, especially after the election, uh, and on the meeting when uh, President Tsai and Coenjer got together, um, there's a lot of discussion about how uh, how cold they are and they, they don't you know smile and they don't talk to each other much. Um, so this and this has also continued to be a, 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 a debate um, on uh, on the Coenjer side whether you know the DPP is really sincere about um, collaborating with Coenjer's camp. Um, especially, he is really still upset about all this. Uh, you know the 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 don the, the donation. Um, the uh, what they call organ donation scandal that that's happened in the election. So before all this is sorted out, I don't really see Koenja getting on President Tsai Ing-wen's ticket. Right, and shout. What about a new party platform to focus on cross-state policies? I mean, where can the DPP really go on cross-state policies? Yeah, it's no no uncertain on what it exactly will be, but I'm pretty sure that it may be centered around what President Tsai Ing-wen coined the uh, the Taiwan consensus which is about opposing the one China policy and the 92 consensus. Um, I think it's pretty a smart move because uh, uh, since President Tsai Ing-wen is enjoying much support based on these ideas, um, so ever since uh, she gave that speech, I think the whole uh, country um, is united in some way because this is exactly what Taiwanese people is feeling, that um, we don't feel we are part of China and then, we don't we don't feel that the 92 consensus is really a consensus given that uh the KMT is addressing that we have uh one china but it's different china on both sides and that's uh that's really confusing to a lot of taiwanese people so i think this if, if she uh if uh, chairman Zhou Rongtai indoctrinates this uh, into the party platform uh, i think it's a pretty solid idea 
Yeah, I, I agree with a lot of that, and uh, I, I'd sort of add to that. I mean, now that Xi Jinping seems to have uh, has you know taken what you know the, the KMT always had that different interpretations. Uh, element to the 1992 consensus, you know, different interpretations of what China is. Uh, China has never, never agreed to that po- portion of the formulation. Um, and now that Xi Jinping seems to have thrown in um, one country, two systems officially as part of the 92 consensus, it seems like that's what he what he did um, uh, in his speech earlier this month. Uh, and that's a complete no-go. Uh, and I think that uh, I, I completely agree. I think Tsai Ing-wen's response was excellent. Uh, I think she'd handled... Um she handled both the uh, the run up, uh, her comments in the run up to his speech, and her comments uh, after his speech. I think she handled it excellently. I, I think that's the one area where where um, the president has been strong uh, throughout her entire um, uh, throughout you know through her, through her term so far. Is she's handled China and foreign policy quite well. I think she's had her stumbles have tended to be more on, on domestic issues. But I mean, this new, this new supposed cross-strait policy the DPP is going to come up with in September. I mean, do you think, do you think it'll appease both the more pro-independence-leaning supporters and the regular mainstream supporters of the party, Donovan? I think it depends on who they're trying to appease. <laughs> I think they'll come up with with a formulation, and we'll see who they're trying to appease when they come out with it. Um, I mean, I think a lot of it will have to do with with the upcoming elections um, between now and September. Uh, so much can happen, uh, not only in terms of, of what Xi Jinping does. Uh, China's economy is is looking fragile. Xi Jinping could do you know something erratic, uh, particularly with a weakening economy in China. China, you know, what China is going to do is going to be hard to predict in the upcoming. Uh, you know, it, it, it is, in the upcoming period, is going to be very difficult. Also, with U.S pressure on China. So a lot of it's going to be reactive to China, a lot of it's going to be reactive to internal pressure, and a lot of it's going to be reactive to um, to uh, public opinion trends. And all of those things between now and September, who knows? Um, if the party's smart, I think they'll stick pretty much to what Tsai Ing-wen has been doing. Uh, like I say, I think she, she's really kind of hit the nail on the head on how to deal with China in, in a way that keeps all of the supporters of Taiwan on Taiwan's side and firmly and clearly uh, shows that, A, Taiwan is not going to back down on being a free democratic country, and on the other, it shows up China as a bully. Um, and the world, I think, is, is waking up and becoming more sympathetic to it. And Tsai Ing-wen has, used through a combination of bold statements, but not using not saying things that would be considered that other countries would consider provocative of china um so she's handled it i think very very well so i'm I'm hoping the dpp will show some backbone and kind of stick to something along those lines but we'll see because so much can change between now and september and i really do think it's going to be a, a choppy period 
Right, we'll look at what happened with the KMT this week, or recently anyway. Now, reports are continuing to surface that the party is looking to establish an official presence in the United States as it seeks to shore up its support ahead of next year's presidential election. Now, party chairman Udini, former New Taipei Mayor Eric Ju, and former legislative speaker Wang Jingping are all slated to travel to the US in the coming months. Now, all three are sort of being tipped to possibly run for president next year. Now, the KMT is possibly going to set up a think tank or a foundation in America because, of course, it wants to communicate its policies with politicians and lawmakers there easier than it can now because, of course, the DPP has FAPA and other groups. So, Shao, the KMT sets up a present in a presence in America, rather. Yeah, I'm surprised that they haven't done so earlier because... Um and it's it's interesting that before an election, everybody seems eager to make a trip to uh, the United States. Um, KMT is traditionally seen as a close ally of uh, of, of China Chinese government, and why DPP is friendly with the U.S. So it's unsurprising that during the election, KMT is trying to actively working on improving relations with the Americans, since after all, the U.S. still uh, one of its not the largest trading partner of Taiwan. So it's um, it's very important to, to see what uh, you know what policy ideas are going to come in out of this think tank that they are trying to set up, um, and we are all um, waiting to see how how what 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 you know tentacles they want to reach into different parts of the U- U.S. government or, or local think tanks or even other organizations. So it's a it's it's uh, it's it's wait and see. We'll see what will happen. So much has changed. Um, I, I, you know, I I, I I feel kind of I, I kind of feel like the KMT to a certain degree has always had a presence in the U.S. Um, it, obviously, during the during the party state era, they they had spies in in the U.S. Uh, they operated via triads that would you know that had operations uh, there. Um, they, the KMT educated a lot of their, uh, youth, the next up, up and coming generation was educated there. People like Mind Joe and Jason Hu, uh, they sent there for education. Um, so they, they've kept, uh, long standing ties, obviously. I mean, going all the way back to when they were still in China. Um, <clears throat> the China lobby, uh, being probably the most dramatic, uh, uh I guess, uh, since they've been in Taiwan. Um, so they've always had very strong ties with the U.S. Um, now, why they're setting up an office now is interesting. Um, back in back in 2012, uh, obviously the U.S. government was kind of tipped their hand that they didn't trust the DPP or Taiwan uh, to to deal with China or cross straight things. And now I think the, the, the shoe's on the other foot. I think uh, the U.S. right now trusts uh, Tsai Ing-wen and the DPP to, you know, to act appropriately with China more so than the KMT. Um, and I think that they think the DPP is now uh, more strongly uh, in favor of U.S. interests. And so I, I suspect, and, you know, I that the U.S. right now is more uh, more supportive of the DPP and Thai, which means that the KMT, for the first time, perhaps, uh, in terms of U.S. government support, uh, it may be the one that's kind of out of favor, and that may, it may be partly to target that. Another element that, that may be behind this is money raising. Um, obviously, with a with transitional justice uh, thing going on, they, they're losing a, a lot of money. Um, the DPP traditionally has done a pretty good job of raising money via FAPA and, and 
Wolfie and all these other groups in in um, in the U.S. Um, and but when you actually look at the Taiwanese American community. Um, the, a lot of them, a very high percentage, are actually children of or grandchildren of um, of Chinese who emigrated from China in 1949 with the KMT at the end, you know, the collapse of the of the of the nationalist government in China, and then they they emigrated from Taiwan again to to the U.S. But they don't have quite the emotional ties that groups like FAPA do. They don't have the passion or um, the the drive, I think, to raise them. They, they may have a lot of financial power. I'm not sure they have the energy or the drive or the interest uh, that the, um, the DPP supporting groups do. But it could be an element to do that. Now, also, the KMT has, has, has kept uh, contacts in the U.S. via cultural associations for quite a long time and throughout the region. So this is interesting that it's a more open, obvious office rather than they're sort of, you know, battling it out with the CCP over local, you know, Chinese cultural associations, that sort of thing. Yeah, I totally agree with Donovan's point. And then Donovan mentioned FAPA, um, which is an organization I'm pretty imp- in- intimately uh, familiar with. Uh, while I was in the U.S., I, I, I joined FAPA in their many grassroots um, organizations to lobby uh, Congress members. Um, that's why I think KMT is waking up to the fact that, you know, um, the, uh, the so-called Taiwanese uh, or, or Green Camp has many um, organizations like FAPA that's working deeply uh, on a grassroots level. And also there's a, a think tank uh, that's up and coming called GTI Global Taiwan Institute. Oh yeah, they're is, great. Yeah, which is doing phenomenal work, and then they have uh, hosting uh, seminars, events, and then a lot of them are attended by a high level, um, high level st- uh, statesman uh, in Washington D.C. area. So I think all these activities is uh, is alarming KMT in, in a way. So they 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 feel that they they need to have a presence in the U.S. and then doing the same kind of grassroots work that they haven't been doing because they are relying on all their all relate all relations in in their uh, you know party state years. Right now we'll pop off from the KMT and the DPP to the new power party or the NPP. Now, Xiao, you're with us today, but apparently people in your party are rather busy electing a board to elect a new chairman. Yes. Um, first of all, um, the the stepping down of the current chairman, Huang Guochang, is uh, took us all of us by surprise. So uh, immediately, you know, different theories were floating around, implying that. Uh, Huang was forced out or that he resigned because of uh, his team in New Taipei City failed to win any seats in the city council. But actually, from my personal observations, I, I feel that one really should take what he uh, announced on his Facebook um, a fa- face value, namely that he wants to concentrate on his duties as a legislator and then prepare for his upcoming re-election. He also pointed out that it's it's important and healthy for for MPP to have a new chair, so that he his face is not synonymous with the new power party, and uh, the, uh, something he's been accused you know being uh, leading this party into a uh, just just only have a single opinion. And I think he wants to change that. And uh, as to the uh, the chairman election, because it's ongoing right now at this moment, and I'm also one of the candidates of the central committees. I cannot discuss uh, too much details, except to say that uh, the new chair will be one of the new 15 central committee members. And then the new committee members are being voted on right now, and the result will be uh, on Saturday. 
So uh, we'll see who they will select. And then one of the possible, you know, names that's been floating around us, uh, the, the uh, lawyer and MPP Xinju chairman, uh, Chou Xianzhi, or legislator Hong Siyong, or documentary director and one of the original MPP founder, uh, Guo, Guo Yijen. Um, and many people mentioned that Freddie Lin may be in the running, but he actually came out strongly said that he's not interested in being a, a chairman, but, and he's wanted to more focus in on his uh, legislative re-election as well. So I think that's the state of affair in, in MPP right now. I mean, do you think losing Huang Guozhang, the, the, some of your policies will change, or do you think they'll stay the same? Um, I think it all depends on who the next you know, central committee members will be. So there's a lot of um, policy debates inside MPP, especially whether we want to be friendly with uh, DPP or we want to be at war with them, you know, an all-out war. Namely, we nominate uh, candidates everywhere they go. But uh, that, that's, uh, that's a healthy debate, um, and they're married to each side of uh, the debate. So we'll see who are chosen to, to lead the next central committee, and uh, that's, that, that will be clear. Yeah, this is a very interesting development, um, I, and I, I mean, I, I don't have inside knowledge, although I know a lot of people who are closely tied to the party. Um, and, I, you know, there's, there's, there's all these rumors that have been flying around about, you know, infighting, dominance, and all of this stuff. Um, and, I, you know, I don't know if or if any of it is true at all. Um, but I, it's interesting that 64 people or 62 people, I, I forget the exact number, are running for those 15 uh, committee uh, seats. So that shows there's a lot of vitality and interest in the party, um, which is a good sign for the party. Um, and I also think it's interesting that um, that he chose to step down now in the run-up to the presidential and legislative election. Um and you know, I don't know if this is a good or a bad thing. I, I think a lot of it will depend on several things. One, I'm glad that he's setting a precedent of not staying in the position for too long. Um, I think that's that's a healthy thing for a, for a party. But on the other hand, the party doesn't have as many figures in it that are. A, recognizable to the public at large, and B, uh, have a lot of experience. And so putting somebody new in without much experience, you know, who may not have much experience and who may not be very well known, may not be able to advocate as well for the party or organize the party as well, running into the next election. And I'm afraid the party's going to make the, a lot of their arguments more on ideological lines rather than practical ones on how are they going to get more legislators uh, first of all, how are they going to get their uh, legislators reelected in the next elections and more and also importantly is how are they going to get more elected during the next election so I'm really hoping that the party focuses a lot on the more practical side um, uh, as well as the ideological side and I'm a little bit worried they'll, they'll choose an ideological uh, some is ideologically better tuned for the party, but not necessarily uh, a good advocate to the general public, or a um, or a very good organizer, or uh, who who can actually bring the party up to a higher level in the next legislative elections. Yeah, I totally agree with Donovan. I mean, so the 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 election. The Central Committee election is ongoing right now, so we have two days. The party members can vote online, so we have up to um, like midnight 
today um, before a uh, new central committee members are selected out. Um, so we'll say it all relies on the, the wisdom of our party members to see. And, and a lot of our party members are actually quite young. So I'm surprised to, to see that, that when our last uh, party member gatherings, a lot of about closer to a thousand party members showed up. And I'm surprised to see a lot of them are pretty young, just in their 20s and 30s. And they are very enthusiastic about, you know, participating in party affairs. Um, so I, I'm pretty sure they, they are going to select the, you know, the, the right members to lead the party in, into the new election. And, 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 and we will we'll see that, um, the, um, the new direction should be really how to focus in on growing the party and attracting new talents and new members and make sure that um, in areas we, where we stand a chance to win, we'll make sure we nominate uh, candidates to, to win that race. But in areas where they require a lot of uh, collaborations with uh, 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 outside you know, forces were also wise enough to actually make that uh, collaboration and not to go, you know, head on into a, 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 a no, sure no bet. So that that's my opinion, and I'm sure everything's going to turn out clear um, midnight today. Right, now we have to take a short break now here on Taiwan This Week, but we'll be right back after these brief commercials. Welcome back to Taiwan This Week, and two of Taiwan's most high-profile mayors are heading to the United States in the coming months. Taipei Mayor Kerwin Jer is slated to jet off to New York, Boston, Atlanta and Washington, D.C. in March, while in Kaohsiung, well, their mayor, Hang Yu, will be travelling to the U.S. sometime, I believe, in April or May, where he's been invited to give a speech at Harvard University's Fairbanks Center for Chinese Studies. So, Donovan... This this passion with traveling to America. <laughs> I feel like quoting an, uh, an Eddie Mo- a song from an Eddie Murphy movie. But um, the, the, the on one level it means nothing, and on the other it could mean everything. Um, it, it's actually fairly common for mayors to make overseas trips, including to the U.S. Um, Lin Jialong, for example, when he was mayor here, he went to the U.S. Uh, specifically to target um, uh, industries in uh, Silicon Valley and California to try and get them to invest. Wei Mingu from Zhanghua would visit there. Uh, so yeah, the local government heads go and visit the U.S. to try and jump up business or investment or ties. Uh, is really not an unusual thing for mayors to do. Uh, but since we're in the run-up to a, a very interesting, uh, shaping up to be a very interesting race for uh, president, um, now everybody's imbuing all of these things with a lot of, uh, you know, weight. And some of it may actually be true, um, because obviously a lot of the candidates don't have foreign policy chops. Kuenza, if if he were to run, doesn't have foreign policy chops. Han Guoyu, in spite of the fact that he does speak English, he studied uh, something English-related, I believe, at university, um, but he's not known for having foreign policy chops. Um, and he would, if he were to run, I don't think either of those two will run for president, but it's possible. Uh, Zhu Liduan, Eric Chu, is running. Uh, he's already announced that he's running, and he's making a trip coming up soon. And traditionally, the presumptive... Um, I believe he's going in mid-February, 
and the the presumptive party nominee, which is always the party chair, historically at least in the KMT, Udwani, is also reportedly going to make a trip uh, to uh, the U.S. in the next uh, two, three months. Um, so yeah, because there is a presidential race coming up and everyone's speculating on who's going to run, and none of the major candidates seem to have much in the way, on the, at least on the KMT side or on the independent side, so far have much in the way of foreign policy uh, chops. I think that, uh, you know, so a lot of people are wondering if this is how they're going to demonstrate that they are viable on the international stage. Right. Um, I think this trip is designed for Coenger to, you know, test the waters. Um, and as Donovan mentioned, to, you know, to gain some images uh, being versed in foreign policy, you know, affairs. Um, but um, I think it's become a, a quite an interesting sport to ponder whether Coenger is going to run for president in 2020. And I feel that he enjoys that as well. So, because in addition to his planned travel to the United States, he also been rumored to have set up inside the uh, Taipei City government a uh, international political and economical strategies office, which can highly disguise his uh, presidential ambitions if if there's any. But however, the, the question whether Kerr has the support to run is still up in the air, right? Because many polls have come out suggesting that if he runs today, he's likely to win. But at the same time, people also, um, you know suggests that these polls are just baits, you know, waiting for Coenger to buy and hence trying to, to, to split the voter base with President Tsai and then benefit the KMT. So it's, uh, it's all not so clear right now, but I think it, that it's the right idea for Coenger to test the waters in, in, in his U.S. trip and see what uh, the, the media sees and what the general public sees um, and he will decide from there. That's what I think. Yeah, I think that's an excellent point. I think that regardless of whether he has any plans to run in 2020, long term, uh, you know, he may, you know, he's he's going to look at his political future one way or another. And I think I think actually, Xiao, you made an excellent point there. Is that it's a good idea for him to go regardless. Exactly. And of course, today's China Times, I believe it was, they're already calling for Hang Yu to run for president. Oh, um, I don't think that's. Uh that's too early. I think it's bit early. Yeah, bit early. But he's going to give a speech at Harvard University. Yes, he's invited to go, right? But I don't think we, uh, at least I don't think I, I should read too much into that because it's just an invitation for him to give a speech at Harvard. So if, if I were invited, I would go. So it's not like he's trying to set up an operation to run for president or, or a campaign. So I think in his case, it's, it's much simpler. Um, he's giving a speech at Harvard. And we don't know about what yet, do we? No. Anyway, last week we talked about the dispute over government plans to reduce feed-in tariff rates for offshore wind power generation. And the Ministry of Economic Affairs announced this Wednesday that it had decided to cut that rate to 5.516 NT per kilowatt hour for this year, a price cut that was less than had been originally proposed. So today I take a look at the state generally of Taiwan's renewable sector as I chat with Mark Buckton, a writer with the UK based energy publication Newsbase. Good evening Mark. Good evening. Right so of course last week we spoke of problems on this show with the offshore wind power sector but I mean how is Taiwan's renewables energy sector as a whole looking? I think Taiwan has so far has um, done too much too soon and I would compare it to you know you see these American movies where a 16 year old passes his driving test and it's a rich family, and immediately gets given a Porsche. 
and they're driving around in Porsches. Too many buttons, too many distractions, and they've still not learned how to drive. And the reason I say that is Taiwan has believed a lot of what Germany has been doing will work here. Now, Germany is very, very well on the way to being completely um, powered by renewable sources. Taiwan, they've got all the good ideas. On paper, they've got the rules in place and the regulations, but they just don't have the experience of how to implement a decent renewables, renewables policy at the moment yet. Right, I mean, what could they do? Slow down or maybe talk to different companies? Or Because there was talk, of course, of Taiwan trying to develop everything themselves, build the infrastructure, build the products, and then erect the products. Yeah, that's part of the problem. They, they've got too much self-confidence at the moment. They need to learn from other nations, um, maybe in the region, probably from Japan. There are laws in place that prevent China helping in Taiwan. Um, but the Japanese, I'm sure, would be happy to lend the expertise and the know-how. That's what Taiwan just doesn't have. Um, also, Taiwan is lacking in a liberal energy policy, which is crucial to renewable energy being successful. So every project, be it solar-based, um, hydro-based, or offshore wind, as you spoke about last week, it's all got to go through Thai power. And there's no liberal or liberalization of the energy policy in Taiwan, and that's what we need. Right, so because it's a state-run company, it's basically stymieing development, basically. It is, I believe it is. Um, every every offshore or foreign produ- um, investor that's really putting the effort in, they're coming over, they're opening offices here. They are facing many levels of governmental and essentially Thai power-backed um, policy and requirements to get passes and leases and licenses and they're getting fed up with it. They can't really compete as they would in, in Japan with other companies coming in as well. Everything's got to go through Thai power. Right. I mean, could, could you see the government sort of ceding? They've obviously talked about ceding some of Thai power's power, so to speak, but obviously this is not going to happen overnight. No, it's not. Um, the government have got um, certain ideas in place at the moment. But it's all going through the Ministry of Economic Affairs, and you know, Thai power are in bed with the Ministry of Economic Affairs. The, the government has initiated plans to form something called the Electricity Regulatory Agency, and they will take some of the weight off the government's shoulders. Um, and under them, there will be a Fair Trade Commission, which is said to be independent. However, they've got to operate within this, this rule of everything has got to go through Thai power. And I think um, you may, you may realise, or your listeners may know, that recently um, a power purchase agreement fell through with a foreign investor. And that, again, was because of the domestic demands of Thai power. And as long as one company is there controlling all the strings, the foreign, the foreign companies looking at Taiwan as a potential you know, next stop on the Asian development of their own brands... They're not going to. They're not going to make progress. Well, do you think the central government could possibly give more power to regional governments in this sector? Obviously, Zhanghua has wind power. Miao Li also has wind power. Could the central government maybe talk to the local governments and say, "Okay, you have now more power in the say of how renewables are developed in your counties." Well, the central government has given a certain amount of power to the uh, to the regional governments, and those regional governments are just part of the problem, to be honest. 
they are just part of the, the six levels of approval that any investor needs to get through. Uh, but then it, they've got all these rules on paper, and on paper it's a fantastic system. Um, however, they're too slow at implementing things. The government have also put in place at, at the local level and at the national level a policy whereby foreign companies must use Taiwanese um, materials and you know, manpower as much as possible, which does uh, stimmy, in a way, the foreigners coming in and themselves making the efforts to, to develop their own services here. Right, I mean, which, which renewable do you see forging ahead with these problems? We've got, oh, we've got wind power and we've got solar power. Which, which do you think could, is going to lead the way? Well, ideally, wind power would, uh, would lead the way. And at the moment, um, solar is still, the, uh, is still well ahead of wind power in, in the development stages here in Taiwan. But what we often see is, you know, announcements that a 30, 30 megawatt, you know, a 100 megawatt plant will be put in place in a certain part of Taiwan. And we see those announcements. People get excited about those announcements. But those announcements themselves do not mean that that, is, um, that level of electricity is readily available. It will take years to build them, and then they've got to connect them to the national grid. And the national grid goes back again to that same word. Thai power controls every aspect of the national grid. So until local governments themselves can, can work with other energy producers, and there are more energy producers in Taiwan, but all of those, again, they've got to sell their energy to Thai power. And until those grids can be developed, the non-Thai power grids can be developed, we're always going to go through the same problem. Thai power power controls every aspect of energy production in the country. That was me in conversation with Mark Buckton, who writes for the UK-based energy publication Newsbase. And before we go this week, a well-known e-sport event is coming to Taiwan later this year when League of Legends hosts its mid-season Invitational in Taipei. Now, Riot Games says the semi-finals and finals will be played in the city from May 17th through the 19th. The initial rounds are apparently taking place in Hanoi and Ho Chi Minh City. Now, e-sports in Taiwan, apparently it's been synonymous for several years now because apparently people in Taiwan are quite good at e-sports because apparently a team called the Taipei Assassin has won the League of Legends World Championship in 2012 and apparently it was the last team from outside South Korea or China to win a mid-season invitational or world championship. So Donovan, League of Legends, for you, not for you? Uh, not for me, but um, I mean obviously these esports have, uh, are making huge amounts of money right now. Um, they, they're attracting huge crowds. Uh, a friend of mine's son makes uh, tens of thousands, like an actual livable salary, um, on YouTube, uh, playing video games and talking about them. And you know, people follow 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 him on online, and, and you know, and he, and he makes like a decent salary um, <clears throat> out of it. Um, and I know that the, that it's you know the, the sums of money going to it are massive. And of course, here in Taichung, we've got that statue of. Uh, I forget the name, uh, but it's a, a video game character. Um, 
so it's a, it's a big, it's, it's a really big deal. I mean, I know they, they, the 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 uh, Lin Jialong announced a world class esports venue here. We had competitions here recently. Uh, I don't know if that venue is going to happen now that we've changed mayor. Now that Lu Shuyan is the mayor, I don't know if that's going to continue going forward. But I know there's a lot of effort and energy going into this uh, here. Also in Taichung, they're tying it in with uh, comic books and anime and all that uh, development, which they're building a whole big complex. So, Xiao, you, you're after the youth vote, mate. There you go. Yeah, I'm actually a big uh, esports fan. So, uh, although not so much for League of Legends, but I'm a super huge um, StarCraft fan since I'm uh, I'm in high school, and so I still play it now. And I I'm pretty happy that League of Legends hosting its uh, mid-season Invitational in Taiwan for the very first time, because um, Taiwan is actually. Although it's pretty big, esports is pretty big here. But internationally, Taiwan has been sort of overlooked in the community because, well, believe it or not, Korea is 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 much much bigger, and also right now China is catching on. So if you uh, think about esports, you know, um, professional players, many people can name a lot of Korean players, and only a few can name really you know outstanding internationally recognized Taiwanese players. So um, for me, and also for for MPP, at least in Taipei City, um, we are very into esports and want to bring more esports resources in the city. So it, it's very it's very you know good outcome that League of Legends is bringing the, 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 this tournament here and we want to make sure we, uh, we all invite more enterprises to invest in uh, eSports and also the government as well and that's, um, that's going to you know, bring a healthy uh, environment for our kids and our parents to join the eSports community and then understand that it's, it's actually not just playing games, it's, it's actually a sport and people can really not only make a livable salary but they can make a, like a real sports star, like millions and millions of dollars in tournament winnings, so that's, uh, that's something we're, we're happy to see Right, so Taiwan maybe will one day have an eSports Cristiano Ronaldo, there we go well, Didn't that whole uh, Taiwan number one thing come out of uh, video games Yes, yes. Uh, it's, yeah, it was an American guy, if I recall. It's an American guy, guy streaming, uh, playing a game, and then he's just trying to piss off some Chinese players. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's where we'll leave it here on Taiwan this week. And I've been joined in the studio today by new Power Party member Xiao Xingsheng. Good night, everyone. And on the phone by Donovan Smith in Taichung. Hey, have a great holiday. And just a reminder to our listeners, there won't be a show next Friday, February the 8th, as it's the Lunar New Year holiday. And we'll all be away eating and possibly wishing we'd not eaten those extra slices of sweet red bean rice cake. Anyway, thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of Taiwan This Week here on ICRT with me, Gavin Phipps. And don't forget to check out Taiwan This Week podcasts on iTunes and Android podcast apps where you can get access to all our previous shows. Tune in again next Friday evening at 8 for another informative look at the top stories of the week with Taiwan This Week. And don't forget to also check out our podcast on our website, icrt.com.tw. Now keep it here for more music and news only on ICRT FM 100.